yeah, I think we're headed toward a bubble for sure. This is the Financial Side of Life podcast, episode 27. Welcome to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Our mission, to empower you with smart financial strategies and show that it's possible to get a college education, save, invest, retire, or do whatever makes sense to help you live your best life. We'll meet amazing people and professionals who will share stories about how they do it, and together we hope to bring a little sanity to your complex financial life. And now, here is your host, Certified Financial Planner Pro and founder of Avea Financial Planning, Angie Ferbot LaRossi. Hey everybody, Angie Ferbot LaRossi here, and I want to welcome you to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Today, my guest is Randy Hubbs. I know Randy as Mr. Hubbs because he was a teacher at my high school back in the 80s, and of course, we called all our teachers Mr. or Mrs., um, it's just a habit. So if I say it again, just go with it, all right? <laughs> I'll try to call you Randy. Uh, he taught band, and I was in choir, so I never actually had him as a teacher, but he was so well-known in our relatively small high school, so I knew who he was. We recently reconnected at a real estate investor meetup here in the Tri-Cities. As I talked about in the last podcast interview with Ilario Zaragoza, I've been learning about opportunities in real estate as an investment and have been networking through our local meetups. Randy's wife, Jana, was our featured speaker last month, and I was super surprised to learn about their journey in real estate investing. I had no idea. I had so many questions, I figured I would just have him on the program so he could share his story with all my listeners. So, Randy, thank you for coming. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Fantastic. So I always just like to start by asking about your background. Can you just kind of fill us in with your background? Sure. I've uh, had the career of my lifetime, which was wonderful. So as you were mentioning, I, I became, I started out with, I born and raised in the Tri-Cities. I was going to, heading down the path of being a Hanford engineer. And uh, I discovered real quickly that, you know, I needed to follow my path, which, you know, I thought, thought the money was going to be what drove my career choice, but I decided I really wanted to do what I loved to do most, which was music. I've always had music in my heart and my head since I was a little kid, kind of an odd, quirky thing that way. But uh, I really wanted to study music composition. I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach from the time I was in high school. So I went through Central Washington University, got my degree, and uh, started my first job in 1979 at Pasco High School. And and uh, as the band director there, so it was really a, a fun, unique opportunity to come into a AAA high school my first year of teaching. And uh, we just had an amazing time. I spent uh, seven years doing that and then went on to Columbia Basin College and was the band director there for uh, 28 years. I guess it was eight years that I was at Pasco and okay. then 28 years um, at Columbia Basin College. So, um, and basically I, you know, really wanted the freedom to be able to teach and enjoy, but I didn't want to retire on a teacher's salary. And so that mm -hmm. was one thing. I always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit about me. I grew up in a real estate family. 
my uh, grandmother was really into wheeling and dealing and buying properties and renting them in, in Pasco area in Richland. And then uh, as you know, the time continued, she talked my parents into investing in a, a couple of rental homes as well. I saw how much they hated it, and they weren't very good landlords, but it was a, an amazing thing for me to witness. And then, of course, uh, my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, was a realtor, also had a number of rental homes and so we were surrounded by that yeah. both my wife and I were and uh, so actually I got out of college I came back into town and a good friend of mine who still has a, a kitchen business here uh, wanted to you know I found a house from uh, an aunt of his that he was able to buy on a real estate contract and so he said hey you want to come help me live live in this house and help me fix it up I'm going to sell it so that was the first concept of fix and flip that I knew we didn't call it flipping back then but sure enough we did that and uh, I got the bug and so I had my future father-in-law we weren't married yet but he went out and found me a home and said basically you know when I call if I find a great deal you need to hop well my first month of my first year of teaching uh, we found a little home over in Pasco and purchased that I let it sit vacant for the whole year because I had my hands full being a first-year <laughs> teacher and uh, spent the summer and both my wife Jana and I have strapped the tool belts on and we fixed this home up and got it all ready to sell in 1980 the market crashed oh. and it was amazing to watch some of the people that I was idolizing as, as really crushing it in real estate that lose their entire portfolios and everything you know, went down the tube. And so it was real interesting watching, you know, how people dealt with that. Some people just kind of packed up their stuff and never touched it again. And others came back with a vengeance. And mm. so in uh, 1980s was tough. Interest rates went up. I mean, mm. we we had our little house. Instead of flipping it, we moved into it and lived in it for a couple of years. And then when it came time to buy our, quote, dream house of that time, uh, we were paying 13.5% interest. Yeah. And so it uh, was interesting unique times and and certainly uh, in doing so we continued on bought a couple more rental homes and and realized buy and hold was a, an awesome option for us and kind of the path we wanted to go but we were really tied into our careers and uh, from there we uh, basically started flipping in the mid 90s and that was really when I opened my first book and started instead of listening to the advice and you know how to be a landlord from parents and grandparents and all the people around me uh, certainly learned how to do a lot of work on things and so I was a hands-on kind of person but we started uh, flipping homes and uh, enough to and the whole purpose behind that was to get enough capital built up to buy more buy and hold properties and we were really interested in multifamily so our first uh, big purchase was uh, five duplexes in a row in, in Kennewick and uh, we you know the, which was basically in essence a 10 unit apartment but we were able to buy those with what I call Freddie Fannie money and so uh, we bought them the traditional 30-year uh, loan kind of option and then we decided to add one a, a year and so that's what we kind of worked toward doing we were continuing to do some more flips to make that work until finally we had enough cash flow to where we didn't have to flip anymore and evolved into that until we got what I call Freddie and Fannie'd out which means we could no longer qualify for the homes with the traditional 
financing. So we ultimately had to move toward commercial. So that's when I kind of stepped back. It was time to get educated. I'd already read, read a number of books and I started listening to podcasts. And this is back in 2000, I believe seven is when we kind of reeled things in. I also saw the crash coming. So we really pulled back from any you know, local investing, and uh, and uh, so we we got educated. Uh, took a course. Uh, my mentor in that course for apartment investing is one of my best friends now. Uh, he lives in Denver, Colorado, and uh, matter of fact, we've partnered on several things just personally. And uh, he, he uh, you know, taught me how to go out and, and buy apartment complexes. So we actually did our first syndication in 2009, which was a 32-unit apartment complex, and then uh, continued buying apartments uh, for a number of, of years and uh, got involved with resort property down in Belize and we were in several markets out there so I got comfortable investing outside of areas and my wife does all of the management of the management companies and ended up getting my broker's license in 2012 to, so we could capture passive losses and so we created our own brokerage here that's focused around helping people with investment properties. So, um, you know, in doing so, I've been involved. I think I told someone I spent, I've spent enough money in my real estate education to buy four doctorate degrees. And so, (laughs) um, you know, we, we constantly stay educated and involved there. And, uh, so now what we do is, is, you know, we invest passively with a lot of other real estate syndications. Plus we are actually fund managers ourselves and, and, and run our own uh, projects as well. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to kind of uh, wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 when I get going, I was, <laughs> there's a little sense of flow there. I should have breathed in between there somewhere. That's okay. I'll try to um, go into some areas because things come into my mind as you're saying stuff. So um, I, I find I did not know that you had family who were involved with real estate. So do you think that that definitely helped you out getting started? You had that background on both Jana and your side of the family. Absolutely. It made a, a huge difference because it taught, I, you know, when I look back at my childhood, I, I have one quirky thing about me is I remember what I was thinking when I was five or six years mm-hmm. old at, and things. And I remember distinctly uh, listening to my parents lament a lot about, boy, we should have bought that place because now it's, you know, sitting on the Columbia River. And right. at that time, it was worth $14,000. Right. It's now worth $400,000. Yeah. I think my parents have a story like that, too. <laughs> everybody does. And I kept listening to these woulda, shoulda, coulda stories. Yeah. And, and it's it's sad because, it, you know, nobody typically takes that plunge or very mm-hmm. few people do. And so that that's where I decided I wasn't going to be that person and, and watched my dad make some some pretty bad decisions even argued with him when I was in high school because there was a five acres that he owned uh, that his my grandmother deeded over to him where the guest house in now sits on Clearwater Avenue and mm. you know he sold it for a song at the time oh. but uh, you know he didn't didn't do enough due diligence to know what the value of the property was right interesting so you've learned from others uh, yes, absolutely. And mistakes, that, in a way. Yeah, for sure. And, and not mistakes, they're, you know, things it, that worked out well, I suppose. Yeah, things that worked out well, things that don't go so well. That's how I, I functioned as a band director. The reason I got into being a band director is because my high school band director was so horrible <laughs> and drove a lot of people out of it. So I decided that wasn't going to be me. Right. Excellent. Okay. 
Um, the other thing that you mentioned is that you were kind of doing some of this stuff in the, well, you got started in 79 with your first house mm -hmm. and then the 80, 1980, the market crash. Um, or our, our real estate, were you saying that our real estate market crashed? Yeah, we've gone through a couple of bad ones. Mm -hmm. One of the, it was interesting when the country was booming, um, we had an overnight sensation occur called the in-reactor closure. Right. And when that happened, there were four cell signs on every single street. Right. And so real estate, of course, at that point in time, it turned into a massive buyer's market because people had to get out and go find jobs elsewhere. Right. So we've had a couple of, of those ups and downs in the Tri-Cities. What's been interesting is those peaks and valleys have gotten uh, less high and less shallow, you know, mm -hmm. and so as a result, uh, and, and we're about to hit critical mass, which I think a lot of people don't understand about the Tri-Cities area is that, you know, we're only, you know, this this really developed in 1944 with all the alphabet homes in Richland. And so we actually started becoming a city, I guess, at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and aside from that, we were little farming communities. And so, mm -hmm. you know, now, you know, that when you look at us compared to Walla Walla or Yakima or some of these other places, you know, we're, we're they're, they're 100 years older than us by far. Right. And, and so, you know, we're now coming into a population of almost 300,000. That's going to be happening real soon. And when that happens, we become, they, they, we reach the, what they call critical mass, where we become more self-sufficient. Uh, which is a great thing because that helps us rely less and less on Hanford right. if something does go wrong. But, you know, we, we're in a volatile situation with Hanford being what it is, but it's also a great situation because, you know, in 2008, we got a, a big chunk of that money for our Hanford cleanup. So when other country or when other cities were suffering so bad, we really didn't see much right. of a bump there. We didn't, yeah. Um, and also during that time, you were talking that interest rates were really high. Mm -hmm. And so, at, you know, as a real estate investor, um, did that, did the fact that the rates were so high at that time, did that give you pause to think, well, now's not a good time to do something or we have to do something differently because this is our current situation? How did that impact you? Sure. I mean, it, what happened was people had to become more creative. We saw a lot of owner financing on part of the homes. And of course, a lot of that, those rules have changed. And some of those rules were developed that we currently have today due to what all occurred during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we saw a strange lending uh, pattern occur leading into 2008, where, you know, mm -hmm. basically, if you had a pulse and could breathe, you could get a loan. And, mm -hmm. you know, we know how that all worked out. And so, you know, there's all always opportunity in real estate as far as investing but but the ta the, the strategies have have got to you know they always change and so we having your your finger on the pulse and getting educated on on how to make that work is what's what's most important there you know right now we're in a huge sellers market so i'm you know our whole brokerage is focused around helping people buy you know in, investment property single family homes to typically freddie fanny one to four is what i call it so in other words that's that again traditional financing some of the best financing out there when you can leverage you know, on these interest rates today at, on a 30-year, um, that it really helps for cash flow. But um, what we also see is the prices are so high mm -hmm. right now on these homes to where the numbers don't necessarily work. And so it really requires analyzing it more like you would a commercial property, which is a mistake I see. You know, I'm, a, I'm a realtor. However, my fellow 
well, realtors, unfortunately, most of them don't look at it that way. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people get into some bad investments that way. So, okay, so you were saying the strategies might change due to the situation. So we're in a lower interest rate environment still. It's not as low as it's been in the past, but it's not that much higher. Um, I, okay, so when you're talking about the market, are you talking about our local Tri-City market? Or does that does what we're experiencing here in the Tri-Cities extend into many places in the country? Or are we kind of local in the way our, our market is reacting right now? Sure, that's a great question because I, I happen to be in a couple of inner circle mm -hmm. groups and I travel all over the country. And uh, one of the high, most high power groups I'm in has got like 14 people in it and they're from all over the country mm -hmm. East Coast, you know, Midwest, California. And uh, we even have some, some foreigners in, in these groups as well at times. And so uh, this particular group, though, is, is made up of some real high powered, you know, in real estate investors, fund managers. And we're all singing the same song. We're seeing these trends everywhere. Okay. There are certain markets where uh, there's a little bit better opportunity, and you know that tends to be in the Midwest. Uh, you know, housing prices are lower, so you can make the rent numbers work better. Mm -hmm. But uh, usually the coastal areas, the East Coast, and of course we're all, all along the West Coast, the entire Pacific Northwest, we are seeing you know higher values there. And so it makes it more challenging finding mm -hmm. good cash flowing deals. It depends on a person's age and their investment strategy. And so that's, I always hold back on, you know, giving just cash flow advice because mm -hmm. younger people like I was when I started out, I mean, we've, we've done very well with mortgage buy down and equity appreciation. And so if a person's young enough, um, to, to today's prices shouldn't still necessarily scare a person away. They mm -hmm. just may not be positively cash flowing a whole lot. But if you're cash flow neutral, uh, you're going to ride this other wave of, of great tax bills benefits you've got mortgage buy down so so the you know you're getting you know 30 years it's yours you know or if i wouldn't you know my personal investment philosophy i don't want to you know put that on someone else because I'll, i'm personally a, a very much about leverage and so i would always go for that 30-year loan but some people want to pay them off earlier so they can right. own them you know own them outright mm -hmm. and so that's a different strategy and so it really you know I, my job is to listen to what the the client wants mm -hmm. and see what we can do to tailor makes something that fits their their needs mm -hmm. And so with this kind of hot market, which appears to be kind of hot all over, mm -hmm. is there any indication of like it being a bubble or um, not necessarily? Or is there something we should be concerned about Sure, as investors? <laughs> I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, um, I see a lot of people, and I've seen this like four times in my life. I've been doing this 40 years, and it seems like we're on these 10-year cycles. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen a lot of people right now becoming instant real estate investors, and so they're, they're really hot on it. When we were most aggressively buying, it was in 2009. Everyone thought we were crazy, and they were like, Do, you know, have you been under a rock? Have you not read a newspaper? The reason that we're upside down as a country is because of the real estate bubble. Why are you investing in real estate? But 
the old adage of buy low, sell high yeah. <laughs> is exactly the reason. So you have to run kind of contrary to the crowd. Right. And the crowd's definitely, including Wall Street, is getting into heavy real estate purchases. And we're seeing lending uh, guidelines really loosening up. I mean, you look at l- lending today compared to 2008, and 9, and 10, um, you know, you, you had to really qualify back then today mm-hmm. we're, we're getting into some of this crazy financing stuff again mm-hmm. so um, yeah I think we're headed toward a bubble for sure or at least mm-hmm. a correction right. is that going to happen in the tri-cities well again because we're hitting critical mass because this, there's so much going on um, you know we may see a lull it may not be a crash um, you know that'll depend a lot on whether we have Hanford funding through that mm-hmm. but I mean if you just look at what's going on with with our you know, things are different than they were in 2008. The entire world is, is, is hinged on the U.S. dollar right now. So if the U.S. dollar tanks, we're in trouble. But take a look at our, our, our debt where we're at federally. And, I mean, this is unsustainable. Something's got to happen. We just don't know when. And, you know, there's the great predictors were predicting 2016, and here we are in 2019. I, I was talking to Robert Kiyosaki about this, you know, personally. He said, you were predicting 2016 and what happened. And because he hit 2008 right on, he and Peter Schiff. And, and, and Robert basically said, well, there's so many things and there's so much technology and we have so many ways of kicking the can down the road that it's, uh, it's hard to say when this will happen and, and if. And, you know, it's certainly not going to be the same way. But that shouldn't keep someone, you know, you can live in fear all the way through. Yeah. At some point in time, you have to pull the trigger. Right. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but living in fear and being maybe a prudent, thoughtful investor uh, might be, you know, a little bit different. So, if if we're thinking that things are going to shift or correct or or burst, if it's a bubble, um, would this maybe not be a good time to get in if you were starting out as a new investor? I think it's, you know it, you will find that in any market there are opportunities and and so the big the key thing is getting you know as a new investor you should look into jumping in uh, however, trying to do this thing on your own without getting educated is, is absolutely a rule for disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, like I say, the, the one way a person can participate is being a passive investor and watching how the person who's, you know, mm. running, spinning those plates around is, is managing things. But again, it being you're doing your due diligence on a, on a manager is super important, which is why I'm in these groups. I invest passively in a bunch of other things but I'm mainly investing in that person right um, that's where my confidence lies and so trying to go at it on your own and buy a single-family home rental without listening to advice or or learning how to analyze or just you know taking some realtors advice that oh this just needs a little carpet and paint and this will be great not necessarily a good strategy mm-hmm. and you mentioned that in your uh, when you were talking about your background is that you said you have basically the equivalent of a you know a, a what medical degree or you know PhD because you've taken so much education and so where would somebody get that kind of education how do you go about getting educated aside from the school of hard knocks 
Sure. Well, <laughs> whoever's listening to this right now is obviously getting educated. So mm-hmm. they're listening to your podcast, and there's a ton of great podcasts. I, I like uh, I like Auto U, which is Auto, Automotive University, which is kind of my pun for get you know these get books on on you know Audible and go out mm-hmm. and you know listen as you're doing your commutes to, versus listening to the the top hits every day. Mm-hmm. Maybe listen to you know great. There's so many great books on personal development uh you know getting on business is so critical you know if you're going to invest in real estate and do it on your own you are you've got to think like a business person Mm -hmm. you can't i mean i'm the head of a i'm on a board of a landlord association here locally and most people who rent properties unfortunately don't know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and that sounds pretty pretty hard but they're unwilling to get educated they're they're operating like my father-in-law did he was successful but you know not the best landlord it's a mm-hmm. it's a business it's customer service you know we don't call we have our own property management company and we don't call our residents tenants we don't use that word mm-hmm. we call them residents and we treat them as our customers they are the people that that make our management company work and so you know we're ser- we're serving them like uh, when you go into a store and someone says may i help you but unfortunately, oftentimes the tenant is considered the enemy, which is uh, right. the wrong thinking, right. I mean, completely wrong thinking. Yeah. And so, you know, beyond that, it's it, it's all about business and balance sheets and understanding how, you know, to not commingle accounts and all this other stuff that Jana was talking about mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And something that really struck me when she was talking too, um, she talked about the tax code mm-hmm. and how many thousands of pages the tax code is and how we all kind of know the top. 10 or 20 pages and the laws associated with those items. So, I mean, it just got me thinking, how would you even go beyond that, aside from sitting down and reading the full (laughs) tax code? Yeah, no one would. I would never suggest that that be brain damage. Um, (laughs) But talking to others or listening to others' analysis, or how would you go deeper Sure. You know, on that topic. If you're going to be a real estate investor, it's really important that you have a very knowledgeable CPA, which, um, you know, again, you want someone. The first question to typically ask your CPA is, do you invest in real estate? Mm. If they don't, then, (laughs) you know, they may advise people on real estate, but they may not know all of the different things that are available. If you are investing in real estate, especially after the changes that have happened more recently in the tax internal revenue code uh, as a result of Trump, I mean, you know, not getting political. Obama did some great things as far as creating the, the Jobs Act. And so, but but Trump certainly, look at, look at where he comes from. He's a real estate guy. And so he wanted to see people investing back into Main Street. And that was a thing Obama was trying to do. It's just a different way of getting people to invest in Main Street. Is, is get them to give them incentives to do so. So now we have opportunity zones, and we have all these other right. things that are happening. And and but the the internal revenue code, internal revenue code is beyond six thousand pages. And what Jana was basically saying, the first thirty pages are about paying tax. The next roughly um, ninety or sixty to ninety pages are about deferring tax. So most of us might have our our four hundred three b or our four hundred one k or tax you know, annuities and ways to, to mitigate the costs, um, you know, intercept investment before it goes to, to, before we have to pay the tax on that. Mm-hmm. But that's really what most 
tax professionals are working on is those first 90 or so pages. The rest of it are, are not loopholes. They are congressional incentives that are about creating jobs. Real estate's an excellent vehicle to do that. So we get things like depreciation. We get cost segregation. So we get to do aggressive um, types of depreciation, bonus depreciation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in addition to that, there's, there, you, you, if you're running a business and you, you run, it, run it correctly, then you have all kinds of miles and meals and your education and all these things that are tax- tax deductible, legally tax deductible. You know, they're not loopholes. Right. And, and that I hate that word because, you know, Congress passed these bills in order to create jobs. And right. so just being smart enough to utilize those and, and not being fearful of the IRS is a big part of the strategy. Right. And she mentioned that you guys had gotten audited over the years, maybe mm-hmm. four times, I think she said. Yeah, we've, Three or four? Been, we've been threatened for uh, okay. one of them they dropped um, before they even got to it. But we, our most recent audit was 2015. And, and again, it's just if you're keeping you know really good records mm-hmm. and you're running your business as a real business, mm-hmm. uh, we weren't even there. We just let our, we gave our CPA everything. And mm-hmm. we were in Belize at the time and got the phone call and said, everything's great. So, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a problem. Oh, I love it. Okay, so I want to know more about Belize, too, because you mentioned she mentioned that, you know, that at the uh, talk last month as well. So I also remember you saying that you were investors in Texas and I thought Tennessee Mm -hmm. and Bailey's. How does, how does that come about? How does somebody do that? Or how did you do it? Sure. Well, I've actually get to hang out with some pretty amazing people. And, and, you know, one of those famous quotes that Robert Helms, who's host of the Real Estate Guys radio show, says, you know, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. (laughs) And so that's what drove us into the markets we're in. And and so going back to that story of driving out of Richland and having my parents look across the river and go, gee, I wish we would have bought that. We're actually specifically not just investing in Belize. We're, we're investing in a, a niche market in Belize, which is a beautiful island of Ambergris Key. And uh, we uh, had an opportunity to syndicate some hotel units there, which has now become the largest hotel development in the country. Um, it is a Hilton Curio property, which that all happened afterwards. And so we, we syndicated 16 units of that whole hotel for our investors. And so that's what drives us to Belize a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some kind of relationship with Robert Kiyosaki. So can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, again, through our association with, mm-hmm. with different people out there, great, you know, mentors, uh, we, we go on an annual summit at sea with the, that uh, is hosted by the real estate guys. And so Robert Kiyosaki came on in 2012 mm-hmm. and he's made it every year since, except for one year. And, uh, you know, we've not only Robert, but I mean, there's so many other great, you know, people that you literally get to, you know, spend time on a, a cruise ship with these people. It's not, a, it's not a cruise like most people would think. We're typically in the conference room mm-hmm. much of that time, mm-hmm. and so it's a, you know, high networking group that's mm-hmm. made of about. 200 people and uh, so we you know I've just gotten to know Robert over the years had a chance to celebrate his 70th birthday with him and Mm -hmm. and through spending so much time you ultimately become friends and so uh, that's that's been our our access to to Robert as well as a number of other folks out Mm -hmm. there okay 
And Robert Kiyosaki uh, wrote the Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, books, and we'll put that in the show notes too because that's sure. a book I'm always uh, – I have one that's for teens, I think, and I have it floating around my house. And mm-hmm. I'm teaching high school kids through Junior Achievement, so I mention those kinds of things to them. So yeah. that's a great resource for sure. I I wanted you to um, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your business. And I, I don't even think I said your business name yet, Randy. So the Investment uh, Housing Specialist, Investment Housing Specialists is your business name. Can you tell a little bit about what you guys do with through that business? Sure. So uh, as I think you mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a real estate broker. Mm-hmm. And uh, we that whole business is focused around you know investing however i because of the number of people being in the tri cities that as much as i have all over the years a lot of people also want me to help list or sell their homes mm-hmm. as well so uh, we have a, a, a parallel brand to that called equity first home group because mm-hmm. you don't want investment housing specialists on the sign in your yard and so uh, and basically what what we've done there is is my son got highly trained down in Las Vegas uh, with Keller Williams uh, brokerage there. So we moved that business in. So we still have that business, but it's a business within a business. So my son runs the equity first home group uh, portion. And so we, you know, help make that introduction and because he's an amazing agent when it comes to, you know, uh, single family home sales. He also has some good investment experience. He bought his first investment property when he was 22. Mm -hmm. And so uh, but our main focus is is helping investors either buy or sell these uh, these products as well as get them educated about real estate investing and uh, you know we, we the, our entire team is made up of, of real estate investors so you know our, we've got a property management company within that uh, Kevin Glenn's a, a awesome property manager our whole focus around that has been we built that model around all the property management companies we've worked with over the years, uh, because I'm not a landlord, and I, I don't, that doesn't fit my model. Um, you know, I need to be an investor and don't have time to go work on rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's what property management's for. We designed it so that it focuses around the, the needs of the owner and what they need and what, you know, how to provide excellent customer service because if we don't retain those residents, then all of a sudden the cash flow for the right. owner starts going down. They have make-ready costs and, and downtime, and so it becomes very costly for them. So right. um, so we have that, that piece in our business, and uh, like I say, we we're able to – we, we evaluate everything as if it were a commercial property so that our, our all of our clients that come to us that want to buy something are able to make an intelligent decision. And then, of course, we also know what how to market and sell these properties because, again, we there's so many th- critical things that get left off of most multifamily listings I see around here. So um, it's just, you know, that's our focus. And, and then, you know, generally try to, you know, help educate people outside that in terms of 1031 exchanges and the different kinds of you know how to invest with your IRA which then kind of rolls into our other business which is global summit management and that's uh, where we raise capital for different real estate projects we've got we've got a couple of local projects going on um, one in Spokane Valley and then we have a new development where housing development we're, we're dealing with right now here in the Tri-Cities as well. 
And that's through syndication? Yes, that's okay. through bringing... Can you describe what that is, too? Because that's a new term for me. I'm starting to get familiar with it, but... Sure. Um, syndication, it sounds like an evil word. It sounds like the mob or the mafia. <laughs> it kind of does, but, yeah. But the actual, what it means is it's, it's a aggregate, ag- aggregating people together. Okay. Uh, I mentioned the, the Jobs Act that and during Obama's uh, movement where they were trying to help get more money onto Main Street versus Wall Street. And so by doing so, it, it opened up the ability for crowdfunding, which is a different type of syndication but some of you have probably heard that that's not any you know people crowdfunded for various um, you know rock concerts and things projects forever but you know typically you get a t-shirt if you donated toward it or something like that mm-hmm. but you know the crowdfunding that we see today has changed you know there's a lot of big uh, Grant Cardone does a lot of crowdfunding mm-hmm. with real you know his followers and, and things like mm-hmm. that but um, syndication is, is taking a group of people together and you know generally there's someone you know who's the fund manager who you know knows the ins and outs of how to do this but it's it's uh, you find a great deal on an apartment complex and you know it may be worth several million dollars but most people don't have that kind of money mm-hmm. and so generally those big projects which we see them all around the tri-cities are not owned by individuals they're typically owned by groups of people mm-hmm. either through joint venturing of some kind uh, which is a, a smaller group, and, and a lot. Unfortunately, I mentioned you know mentioned this as well. Sometimes these you know people get together and say, "Hey, let's let's throw a bunch of money in and go buy this." Yeah, you don't want to do that. That's a partnership, right? Yeah, but you have to really watch how that goes. There's a lot of people wearing orange jumpsuits as a result of oh, that. Oh so, no! Yeah, so. <laughs> My dad was telling, we were just talking about this yesterday. My dad went into a couple of partnerships to buy a multifamily. This is back in the, like the 80, mm-hmm. right around 80 also. So he, his advice to me is to stay away from partnerships. Sure, yeah. And, and so it, I was curious the distinction between a partnership and a syndication. Sure. So a syndication, typically when you see these big apartment complexes going up around, those are oftentimes built by REITs. So the real estate mm-hmm. investment trusts. Mm-hmm. So your retirement portfolio may have that little portion real estate portion in there so you know the skyscrapers in downtown Chicago and and you know the big 300 plus unit apartment complexes that are being built around here are often being built by insurance companies like I say retirement mm-hmm. programs but you know there's also some pretty large projects that get you know where they raise capital and you know bring investors on board for and so it's a completely legal process of done right and and so I had to get trained for that we have to meet this SEC guidelines the securities and exchange commission and uh, you have two options you either register the security and that's a very long extensive proper uh, process and not one that most people have time for because if it's a good deal it won't last that long and so typically then you can file an exemption and so you have a special attorney that does that not just any old attorney not some attorney that says they do this but they also you know do you know some other thing out there yeah (laughs) yeah it's got to be somebody who's there's some rock stars that are just great and you know i highly encourage if someone does that they they go find the right sec attorney that just does syndication Mm -hmm. and so they'll they'll put together a, a, a what they call a private placement memorandum Usually there's an executive summary, just like there is with any kind of a stock market investment. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the na- 
nature of the type of syndication it is. It may be for accredited investors only, which is people that have at least a million dollars net worth, or they make $200,000 a year and have for the last two years and are in the foreseeable future, you know, the next year will do so. Okay. Or if they're a married couple, that, that number bumps up to 300000 So there's all kinds of rules tied to yeah. that. And so the accredited only is allow for advertisement. But if you're doing what they call a rule 506B, that is non, we allow up to 35 non-accredited investors on that. And that has to, someone has to have a personal relationship developed with the person that's actually doing the syndication project. So it's very very highly uh, regulated by not only each state, and it's, it's also through, like I say, the SEC. So there's a federal component with that as well. And so lots of education, lots of things, you know, need to be done legally uh, to do that. But we've we've raised tons of capital and brought down, you know, amazing projects as a result of it. And that just allows a person who has a normal job that doesn't have time to learn how to do all this stuff to invest passively and get their money more diversified and not all on Wall Street. But now they have the opportunity to make great returns. Um, you know, through a real estate, a great real estate investment. Mm-hmm. So when you say great returns, is there sort of a range that is reasonable or expected or common? It, you know, it varies. And, and that's that's the thing, you know, you know, it, it's hard it's hard for a concept of say, you know, I, I oftentimes talk to my, my investors about we're going to make X percent, you know, for the first five years and then you're going to get all your money back and be, yet you stay in and so your return becomes infinite. In other words, you have, you've been made whole completely and then mm-hmm. you continue to cash flow on a quarterly basis mm-hmm. because of the asset that we've purchased. And, uh, and then when we sell, then they get another benefit you know, to that as well. So the numbers, you know, as far as specific interest rates range, you know, all the way, you know, we see things as low as four and five percent, but as high as going into double digits as well. Now, with the market being what it is and what we were talking about earlier, um, we're seeing less of those double digit or big double digit returns. They're usually in the, you know, the lower teens, Mm -hmm. but there are some definitely some opportunities out there that that are we're seeing that in, and certainly, I mean, it's not all just real estate. I and mean, we, we see oil and gas opportunities and things mm-hmm. like that, and, you know, we're involved with a number of other, you know, different types of syndications. So it doesn't have to necessarily just be real estate. Right. Okay. And that's how most of the oil gas uh, ventures are, are done as well as through syndication. Okay. So you, you started with one rental mm-hmm. and kind of are now in this world of syndication. Sure. To me, that's quite the journey. I mean, really. It has been. And so how, how would you describe that whole experience? Is that what you set out to do? Or, I mean, can someone, can someone who is, um, you know, thinking about investing in real estate do something similar? Or, you know, what, what is it about this journey that really matters to you? Sure. I always have considered myself pretty conservative, even though it sounds mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, I, 
I say that, and yet, you know, people who know me also know that I'm a skydiver, and I've, you know, <laughs> rode dirt bikes, and I scuba dive, and I do all these action sports. That's that's what I do for fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and when it comes to investment, I'm always very cautious. I've always watched the market. We did not get hurt in 2008 by the crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm watching very closely what we're doing right now, where the market's at. But, you know, the big biggest piece is getting educated. You know, if you want to be hands-on and doing this stuff you've got to first of all start somewhere and usually that's with a single family home rental or maybe a duplex but you know some people you know just step off the cliff and and move into an apartment space else i can say on that is if you know if you're buying a you know get into a strip mall or you know those kinds of investments just it's really important that you know what you're doing you get highly educated and and do your due diligence and so that that does take some time and, and efforts and you know that's why we have passive investments a lot of people don't have that kind of time right so, yeah. Yeah. and expertise I mean, right oh sure they yeah. just have the money right that's exactly. kind of what they're there to do okay so as <laughs> as we wrap up our conversation today i like to ask uh, my guests what would be maybe your key piece of advice if somebody was looking to get into real estate investing? Well, the main thing is that you have to, you know, two things, get educated and take action. And, and it's so important to be with people that you know, like, and trust as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, you'll hear a lot of scary stories out there. And I think oftentimes that's just through, you know, people not doing their due diligence. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you know, at some point in time, you have to pull the trigger. And, and so I, we call it analysis paralysis. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's, a scary, it's a scary thought. I know a guy who's just doing an amazing job as a wholesaler right now, but he's scared to death to buy his first buy and hold property. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, once you've done it a few times, then it gets easier. And, mm-hmm. you know, you realize that, you know, you, you become more comfortable with it. But mm-hmm. unless you unless you actually take action, um, it's never going to get done. Right. Excellent. That's great advice. And I'm going to take your advice because I'm that person. Sure. <laughs> I got that one rental <laughs> and I'm kind of, you know, stuck. I want to do something more. I'm just not quite sure where I fit in. And that's right. one of the reasons why I'm starting to talk to people and to educate myself is mm-hmm. where can I fit into this wide spectrum of real estate investing? Because I don't, I don't necessarily want to be a landlord either, or at least, you know, beyond my one house. But uh, anyway, so I'm going to take your advice as well. So, Randy, thank you very much for coming on the show today and talking about your vast, vast, you know, years of experience. It's just super fascinating. I'm so glad to have run into you again because I never would have known any of this. Oh, it's a pleasure uh, reconnecting. Yeah, and I hope people will be able to take something away that they can apply to their own uh, financial situation. Sure. This is all ways to help build wealth. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank my guest again for stopping by the podcast booth and sharing their unique story with us. And thank you for listening to today's program. Be sure to go to aveafp.com to check over the show notes for details and links from our conversation. Don't forget to send in your questions, and I'll answer them in a special listener mailbag episode. So I invite you to come back and listen again, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, or at aveafp.com. That's A-V-E-A-F like financial, P like planning.com. Thank you for tuning in.